Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Stand with me. Hold your Bibles up. Welcome all of you watching online. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I will be asked the question, why is your face swollen? I had three hours of oral surgery on Thursday. It's a miracle that I can speak, but uh, some of you would say, well, shucks, not really. But uh, anyway, so I'm doing well. I'm not sitting down because I'm exhausted. I just thought I'd give it a change. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be talking about, this is the last week of the purpose of purpose that I'll be speaking on this topic. And as we've talked about the importance of purpose, and how to find purpose. Today, I want to talk about how to protect purpose. Uh, our purpose can be polluted. It can never be taken away, but it can be polluted. And it can be unclean and unclear. It can be made to be that way <clears throat> through conversations, <clears throat> through fear, doubt, unbelief, negativity. Uh, so many things can happen to cause it to not work the way it should. And uh, many years ago, a friend of mine had these model airplanes. And I'm not talking about little ones. I'm talking about the ones that remote control base, they, they, they're big. And there are certain places you can go to fly them and land them. And it's, it's really a pretty cool experience. And it's the first I'd ever... Uh, encountered uh, these small aircraft that, that you controlled by a controller. And I was asking him where he flew them. And he would tell me, well, there are certain uh, fields that are available to, to fly these small aircraft remote con- by remote control. And he said the real problem is, he said there are certain places that are the air is polluted, not like visibly polluted, but the frequencies that were coming through that particular geographical area made it difficult to fly the planes because, because it was unclean, impure air. And so you had to really be careful. And I will say this, <clears throat> like those airplanes, there are people and places and locations that you can go that will pollute your purpose. And some of those places are even found in church. Uh, you can go to churches that don't believe in healing today. They don't believe in miracles today. And I'm not being critical of those churches. I'm simply saying you have to be very cautious about protecting what God's put in you. Uh, for instance, if, if you do believe in healing and, and you go to a church that constantly downplays God's involvement in the world today, then you will begin to lose faith in that possibility. Are you hearing me? And, and so, I'm again, not being critical, but I want to be in places that feed that purpose, that, that feed that possibility, that feed me hope, that, that contribute to my faith. 
I, I don't want the purposes of God to be polluted by doubt. And so I have to put myself in that position. And there will always be people that will argue with your theology. And I used to argue with them. But if somebody doesn't believe in miracles today, and uh, they want to convince you as to why they don't believe in miracles, you can sit and have that conversation. But I've settled in my heart that I believe God is a miracle-working God even today. So if, if there's going to be a debate or an argument, I'm not going to participate because that will pollute my soul. Even though I know it and I can cleanse it, I can pray, I decided that there's no reason to try to convince somebody who doesn't want to believe. So it, it, all I'm trying to say is don't waste your time trying to impose your purpose and what it takes to accomplish that purpose on other people who are unwilling to hear what you feel and know to be true. And so it's very important. To, in Jesus' day, they were constantly Pharisees. They and other political groups and religious groups were trying to get Jesus off course to pollute the purpose for which he came. And I said this a few weeks ago, that when they try to make him king without a cross, that was polluting his true purpose because there was going to be no king. There was not going to be no savior without a cross. And so uh, there are people that believe that if you're struggling, you may be on the wrong course. But sometimes our struggles lead us to higher levels because we fight through. We pass the test. Even the Bible says Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. So we have to be willing to hang on to the purpose through struggles, through opposition, through criticism, through manipulation, which I'll be talking about today. Uh, one of the things I'll talk about is, is being managing criticism. If you have any conviction at all and you stand firm about what you believe and you're willing to live that in front of the world, you'll be criticized. Uh, then after criticism... You go home and you start worrying that maybe what was being critical, somebody was being critical about, makes you worried and makes you wonder whether or not what you believe is really true. And then the third thing you have to watch out for is you have to mash manipulation. And I'll talk about manipulation, hopefully get to that today, uh, because people who uh, really want you to believe what they believe will usually manipulate the message or the conversation to fit their own need or their own narrative. Now, in uh, Mark chapter 12, it says, Then they sent a delegation of Pharisees together with some staunch supporters of Herod to entrap Jesus with his own words. So they approached him and said, Teacher, we know that you're an honest man of integrity. You feel the manipulation here. They're trying to entrap him, so they're massaging the message to make it palatable for Jesus, like he wouldn't know the difference. And, uh, teacher, we know that you're an honest man of integrity, and you teach us truths of God's ways. This is a great introduction for manipulators. We can clearly see that you're not one who speaks only to win the people's favor because you speak the truth with regard 
to the consequences. Now, let me just go ahead and put, put some modern-day vernacular here. When somebody comes up and says, now, can I say something with all due respect? They're getting ready to drop a bomb on you. You know, so I'm just saying there are catchphrases and words that if you're listening, you can usually tell what a person's trying to do or to set you up to believe or to do. So, is it proper for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So, here they are trying to entrap him because you did not speak poorly of the dictator of that day or the leader of that day. And Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said to them, why are you testing me? Now, it's a bold question because sometimes we, 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 we live in such a politically correct world that oftentimes we measure our convictions and what we believe, and then we say something different than what we really believe in order to uh, make people like us or to soften of what we need to really say. And Jesus was not afraid to say, why are you testing me? He could have said, well, let me explain it this way. So I think sometimes to protect our purpose, because they're trying to pollute the purpose of Christ being here, uh, which was to die for the sins of mankind, seek and save the lost, heal the sick, show me one of the Roman coins. They brought him a silver coin used to pay the tax. Now, tell me, Jesus said, Whose head is on this coin and whose inscription is stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Jesus said, precisely. The coin bears the image of the emperor Caesar. So you should pay the emperor his portion, but because you bear the image of God, you must give God all that belongs to him. And they were utterly stunned by Jesus' words. You can see here that they, they were caught in their own trap. Jesus honored and respected the structure of the world in that day, but he also didn't back down from the image of God, that you were created in his image and his likeness, and that we need to refer to that. So, oftentimes, the, 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 this is where it all begins. Now, when I talk about a polluted purpose, uh, I've, I've flown a lot over the last uh, 40 years and have over 4 million miles uh, on one airline. And without fail for the last 40 years, well, actually, maybe not even in the 80s, but when cell phones uh, came into existence, if you've ever been on an airplane, the, the flight attendants come on and you know, tell you what to do in the case of a water landing, which really, they, if they were honest, they'd say in case of a water crash. In my lifetime, there's been one water landing. It was the miracle on the Hudson. And, uh, but, but other than that, and they tell you about, you know, this thing's going to inflate. I'm going to be dead, but I'm going to do it so I'll float to the top and they can find me. But there are so many funny things about that introduction, you know, put your tray table in the upright position. I figure if we're going 400 miles an hour and we crash, tray table's not going to really make that much difference. So I have all these pushbacks, and even when they come on and they say, turn off your cell phones. Well, the interesting dialogue still to this day is they say, well, it could interfere with the frequency between the pilot and the tower and yada, 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 which most pilots will tell you that's not true. 
But just in case it pollutes the frequency, they ask you to turn it off, which is probably one of the, the most believable things they say the whole, through the whole thing. And so in our lives, if you are around people that uh, are critical of your faith, critical of how you worship, um, and, and we all have to be cautious uh, of how we communicate. I have friends who are of the Church of Christ persuasion, and, and they have no musical instruments. They don't believe that the musical instruments came into the New Testament. They were part of the Old Testament, but not the New. And, you know, you could get real tacky and critical if you want, but what really, what difference does it make whether they have musical? I mean, I tell you, it's a lot cheaper to not have to pay musical players. <laughs> so there's a part of me to be convinced that this would be a great thing. But, and, and so when I think of Church of Christ, honestly, some of the most beautiful music uh, voices come out of the Church of Christ. If you've ever been to one of their, well, they, they, their whole congregation sings in parts. It's, it's very beautiful. Now, I like instruments. I like all of that. So this is my persuasion. But uh, let's see who's calling me. Oh, call you later. Anyway, so you, you have to be careful because if that's their conviction, it really doesn't matter about the expression as much as it does the experience. And so most of our arguments theologically are based on our expression. I won't argue expression anymore. Whether you lift your hands, don't lift your hands, you sit down, you have musical instruments, or you don't. It causes uh, division. There's only one debate, and, and that's not even a debate because I'm convicted by it, that there's only one name under heaven by which man can be saved, and that's Jesus. Now, if you tell me anything other than that, and I won't even have a conversation with you. If you want to argue with me about that, I'm just going to say, look, I love you, I respect you, but I believe the only way I'm going to go to heaven is because I have faith in Jesus Christ, and I've asked him to forgive me for my sins. But the minute you start having a conversation, and there are some very intelligent people who don't believe in Jesus, and they will put you under the table if you are not theologically, uh, like really theologically, trained and even then they have some pretty good things to say that might pollute your purpose or your faith in Christ this is why I say arguing does no good if you read Proverbs you never want to argue with a fool and anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus in my books is pretty much fool now I don't mean that tacky in a secular sense but I mean that in the the true sense of you're not going to talk me out of believing in Jesus Christ. I believe that the only way I get to go to heaven is because of him, not because I'm good, not because I'm a preacher. I get to go to heaven because he's awesome, and he's forgiven me of my sins. So the very third, first thing I'm going to hit on today is managing, managing response to criticism. There will be people that today, you go to work tomorrow, and they say, what did, what did you do this weekend? Well, you know, I, I did Saturday. I went to church Sunday morning. Why did you go to church? What makes you think you can go to heaven? You, you're just like us. We're around you every day. And, and they'll begin to down and criticize you for taking time out to spend a whopping hour and a half getting ready and then going to church. And so you have to be careful. And when I say, please understand this, don't argue with donkeys. At 11, that may change, that word. <laughs> but... That's exactly what you do, and you begin to pollute your whole purpose, and you get contaminated because you're going down to somebody's level. 
raise them up to your level and say, you know, I like you whether you believe in Jesus or not. I love you whether you believe in Jesus or not. Now, you might get their attention and say, well, how can you do that? It's real simple because I've accepted Christ and his love dwells in me. And I'm called to love because love never fails. And I'm not going to argue with you. Then they might ask you to explain why you believe. And for me, that's an easy story. I know that I know who I was before Christ very clearly. And some people are good their whole life. And when they get saved, they really don't think much about it because you obeyed all the rules of the house and your mom and dad. And, and many people that are good don't think they need Jesus because they've really never done anything in their mind that's bad. You don't have to do anything bad. You were born bad. Boy, that was encouraging. Well, you were. We were all born with sin. And, and, and so nobody's good. Not one of us is good. And so my goodness can't get me to heaven. And people will criticize you and say, well, you know, you were always a good person. You really didn't need Jesus. They, you think these are silly arguments, folks, but listen to me. I've been in more conversations because just the very title I carry causes people to either want to hear what I have to say or argue with what I have to say. That's how come I don't tell them I'm typically a preacher. I'm a behavior modification therapist. Because <laughs> I, I, I want to have a conversation, but most people don't want to have a conversation with a preacher or a politician. Am I right? So I try to disguise it enough to where I might have a positive influence and impact on people. And, and Jesus did that very well. He went to places that religious people wouldn't go. He spoke with people that religious people wouldn't speak with. He, he went to, to parties that religious people would criticize him for. But Jesus did exactly what I think we should do. We should, should engage ourselves in the world in which we live in order to have an impact on the world in which we live. And the problem with most churches is we, we condition people to stay away from people who need Jesus. Instead of going to those people and for fear of being criticized for hanging out in the wrong places with the wrong crowds. I'm going to do that. You may see me in places that you won't think most preachers are supposed to be. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in places where I can reach people and tell them about Jesus. Now, I'm not intentionally uh, always getting involved with what they're doing, but I am in places where they are because I think that's the greatest problem is separatism in our world. And we do it in the name of God because, and now listen to this, when I say this, you don't get polluted by just being in the place. You get polluted by engaging in it and engaging in a wrong conversation. Zig Ziglar said, don't be distracted by criticism. Remember, the only taste of success some people have is when they take a bite out of you. So don't be distracted by it. And that's just all criticism is. Oftentimes, it's that people see how you're living. They want to live there, but they don't want to make the sacrifice to live there. So they'll criticize you to bring you down to the level that they're comfortable living. In other words, if, if they get angry all the time, they're going to want you to get angry all the time. If, if they talk negative, they're going to want you to talk negative, and they'll use words like this. Well, can I vent? You're not venting. You're being negative. Boy, that, 
Evidently, we got a bunch of people who vent. (laughs) Venting or having a conversation for the purpose of getting insight how to fix what you want to vent about is different. If all you want to do is throw up on somebody but not bring a towel, that's not suggested. If you want to vent, say it this way. I have some issues going on that I would like to share with you. Could you help me see some, see them differently? In other words, can you give me a perspective that I don't have? You know, back in, when I was growing up, if anybody went to a counselor, first off, they weren't called counselors. They were called shrinks. And if you went to one, everybody thought you were crazy. But let me say this to you. Counselors are awesome. Let me tell you why. They give you a perspective you might not have. I'm telling you right now, if I could afford to go to a counselor every week, I'd go every week. I love hearing a different perspective. Can you help me understand why this perspective is right or wrong or why I possess this perspective? You have to be okay with being wrong or maybe different, having a different opinion than you should have. And so I tell people all the time, counselors are wonderful. Never criticize them. Never criticize someone for getting help. Never criticize someone for saying, look, I've been feeling a certain way, and I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the way I'm thinking. Could you help me? Now, don't go to someone as dumb, I mean, as dumb as you might think you are. Okay, so... Dale Carnegie said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, but it takes character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. It's easy to condemn and complain. Everybody does it uh, to some degree. And, and I've, I've, the reason I'm sharing that everything I preach to you, I'm living out in my own life. It's not talking just about you. I catch myself... And I try to, because here, here's the problem. You're often more critical of you than you are others, and you don't like that, so you have to be critical of others so that you're not critical of you. I'm more critical of myself than I am other people. But I had to catch myself because words are very powerful. So when I do something wrong, I don't say, Mark, you're so stupid I say, Mark, that was stupid. You see the difference? What I'm saying is I'm smarter than the action that I just took. That's a compliment to God saying, God, I'm sorry. I didn't use the wisdom and knowledge that you put in me, and I did something stupid. Quit being difficult on yourselves. You're so stupid. I can't believe you did that. You talk to yourself bad. Say, no, no, I'm smarter than that. Because every now and then I'll say something and, and I, need to, I need to not say anything. Jesus was being questioned among the chief priests and the, the Sanhedrin. And they were looking to find him guilty. And, and the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Let me say this, not every question you're asked requires an answer from you. 
You see, we feel compelled to answer questions that people ask. And, and, and if you'll notice, and I'm going to give you a tip, I went to a school in Upper State, New York, when I was uh, about to run across America. I knew I was going to be questioned about why I was running. And it was called Run for Life. I was running for the unborn and running for women who had gone through abortion, not to judge them, but to raise money for them and help them through the process of PTSD that you don't hear about on the media after women have had an abortion. Please, if you've had one, know that I love you. There's no judgment. But I know the difficulty because I've sat down with numerous women during that time in my life that, that had gone through one and heard their stories. So I knew that I was going to be asked tough questions by antagonists who wanted to prove me wrong or say that I was narrow-minded, that I, I didn't have the women's best interests in mind. And this one particular, they told me, they said, always remember this. When you're asked a question, here's what happens. Secular media will go, and what do you think about this? And they'll put a microphone in your face, and you feel compelled because the microphone's in your face. You feel compelled to answer. Now, there will be people on your job site without a microphone, but they'll look at you and just say, you know what? I'm not prepared to answer that right now. You see, criticism does something to our emotions that compels us to feel like we have to react to the criticism or the accusation. Sometimes just don't even, don't even say anything. You're better off not saying anything. And let me tell you, for somebody that talks as much as I do, this is a challenge. Because I was born with the gift of sarcasm. And I exercise wit with great greatness. And every now and then I go, I got a great response for this. And the Lord says, no, you don't. And so I find myself just shutting up. And it's, it's a marvelous feeling for type A people. Trust me, try it sometime. I mean, I feel like a hero every time I shut up. And some of you go, you can shut up about five minutes from now. i got to go eat. No, this is my job. Outside of here, we'll have communication, but I, I will be silent. So, number one, how do I just remember, take nothing personally. It's not personal. They want to make it personal, but you don't have to let it become personal. You can think it's an attack on your character, but don't allow that to happen. Because they don't really know you. You don't even know you. So how can they know you? Most of us don't really know ourselves, but everybody else seems to think they do. You don't know me, and you don't know what I'm thinking, and you don't know what I've been through, and, and vice versa. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't, know what you're, I don't know what you've been through. And all criticism is is supposition. I'm supposing something that I know nothing about in order to bring you to my level of misery and the old saying is, misery loves company. So criticism is an effort to create the same misery in you that I find in me. Secondly, it's not productive. All you do when you respond to criticism is you produce something that you don't need to produce. An argument. A debate. And what happens is that there are people who are really good at sucking you in to their world of chaos. I measure every conversation I'm going to have before I have it. Not every. I try to measure every situation I go into. So, there are times people call the church. They ask Suli to meet with me. I tell Suli, ask them what they want to meet with me about. 
Oftentimes, they say, I don't want to tell you. Then I tell Suli, tell them I won't meet with them. Let me tell you why. If you can't tell my secretary, administrator, what you want to talk to me about, doesn't have to be specific, then what I believe is you're setting me up to have an argument about what you want to believe or you don't like something about me. Tell her, if you don't like something about me, then we certainly won't meet. Why would I want to have a conversation with someone who wants to tell me they don't like the way I preach, look, dress, drive, whatever? That's just your opinion. Go tell somebody else and have a little gossip small group about Mark Crow. I'd be absolutely astounded that you would give that much time to somebody like me. Do you realize the people you talk about and you don't like, that you're honoring them by having a discussion about them because they're at the forefront of your mind? How stupid is our humanity? If you have time to talk about me, you have a very shallow life. Because there are a lot of other things you can talk about that are better than me. I mean, starters, just talk about, you know, you start talking about somebody else. Glory be to God. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And immediately, things will begin to change. We glorify other people's deficiencies and flaws instead of glorifying what God did to take those away. Third, it's not provable. It's your word against somebody else's. So you argue about something, but nobody can prove it because it's internal. Nobody can prove it. That's how come when I have a conversation, and I, I've done this recently with someone I love very dearly that's really close to me, that we have been alienated I drew a boundary three years ago and said, you know what? I'm not having a conversation. And as a family member, I said, I'm not having a conversation with them anymore. I had, they had lied about me, and they had lied to me. So recently, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to step back in. I called, and I said, you know what? We're, we're family, and we need to have a relationship, but here's how we're going to have it. I said, number one, you've lied about me, and I told them the very lie that was told to me, and I said, and you've lied to me, and I said, now, if we're going to have a relationship, you're not going to lie to me anymore, and you're not going to lie about me anymore. I said, or this relationship will be over, forgiven, I love you, if you're ever in a crisis, let me know, if you, if you die, I'll come to your funeral, but it's not productive to be around people who are constantly critical. It's not productive. When I had small children, my, I let them run around the house however they want. One person came to the house, and they were constantly criticizing my kids for not wearing shoes in the house and other things. And I looked at them, and I said, these are my kids, not yours. And if you're going to come to my house, you're not going to talk about my kids. Real simple. I said, I'm not mad at you. I said, but you're not their dad. And I had other things to say in my carnal mind. Moving right along. Monitor your worry. Notice I didn't say manage it because you don't want it. You manage something you possess or you have to deal with. Worry is something you can control and monitor within yourself. It has nothing to do with anybody else like criticism. It has everything to do with how you think. 
One person, Corey Ten Boom, who we, we've probably all heard her name, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So when you worry, you lose the strength that you have. It's like draining a battery that you leave a car ignition on without it being started. It drains the battery. When you worry, it drains your soul of strength, of passion, of conviction. It drains you. And so you have to stop the worry. It says here, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away any in barns, anything in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you too, are not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Not a chance. Henry Ford said, I believe God is managing affairs and that he doesn't need any advice from me. With God in charge, I believe everything will work out for the best in the end. So what is there to worry about? What is there to worry about? Now, Obviously, I'm going to give you three things to deal with worry. Number one, talk. And I mean talk to yourself. And say, why are you worrying? That's what the psalmist did. Why so downcast, oh, my soul? We're judged for talk. I talk to myself. And if that bothers you as a pastor thinking, well, my pastor talks to himself. He must be crazy. No, he's holy. You talk to yourself and say, self, you're not going to believe this. I'm not going to let this happen. Stop right now. And then the second one I talk to is the devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. And then I say, Jesus, you said I have your mind. Make it happen. Let's get her done. Your thoughts, like children, they must be babysat. <laughs> you have to babysit your thoughts. What do you think? Susan will always ask me the question, be driving down the road, what are you thinking about? I love it because it challenges me to check my thoughts. She's helping me babysit my thoughts. And, and so, because I want to be in control. Not, I can't control you, can't control the world. And matter of fact, the Bible says the only thing I can control is me, self-control. It's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You have the power to have self-control. So, you have to control your thought life. In Psalm 19, 14, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. <clears throat> the psalmist is talking to himself saying, hey, let the meditation of my heart be pleasing, God. And don't let me think about killing somebody. And then, believe this or not, you can also monitor your worry by your temper. If you are easily frustrated or stressed that lets you know right there that you're worrying about something so you have to look at the apostle peter he obviously was a worrier he was constantly denying jesus cutting off the ears of those who came after jesus he was worried that if they got to jesus what would happen and it did but what he didn't think about was without the death of christ there would be no salvation for man so, if you have a tendency, and, and don't elbow your spouse right now, to have a quick temper, 
it often means you're worried about something. You're worried about what people think about you. You're worried that somebody has a different opinion than you. Susan and I have this saying. We, we'll get into a conversation, and finally, it, it, when we see it escalating, we look at each other and say, we just need to agree to disagree. End of conversation. You say, well, that's hard to do. Yeah, because I want her to believe what I believe. And you know what? Conversely, I think she probably has the same passion for me to believe what she believes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But see, <clears throat> this is how fights break out. People separate because we try to get people, like I said, to express themselves the way we do, act the way we do, believe the way we do. It's okay if you believe differently than me. That doesn't mean we can't be friends. It, it just means that we probably shouldn't talk about certain things if we can't handle them. And then lastly, this one is my favorite, mash squash manipulation. Let me tell you how uh, people that manipulate, here's a way to put it. One person said manipulating people always, it always involves utilizing a half-truth or lie in order to achieve a certain goal. So they, they will give you a partial truth one that they believe that you will believe, and it's not completely true, so that they can pull you over to their side. And let me go ahead and say this. When manipulation doesn't work, intimidation is the next step. So if you live with someone or you're around someone and you constantly feel like they're trying to get you to believe what they believe or to think the way they think, and you continually politely refuse, they will often try to intimidate you or threaten you. And even Christians do this. When we can't convince someone God is love, then we start telling them they're going to hell. <laughs> you know, we can't get them. We can't massage it. Then we start saying, well, just go to hell then. <laughs> well, didn't you just want go from being a good Christian to you know, like FBI Christian? I don't know. I mean, you know, you're the, now the, the, the Bureau of Investigation over somebody else's life. Instead of continuing to love them and, and just be loving around them. To manipulate means to manage or influence skillfully, especially in an unfair manner. People will try to get you to think their way. You can't manipulate people who know how to think for themselves. So I ask you this, this question. Do you know how to think for yourself? Because if you do you're going to be difficult to manipulate, and you're going to be kind about it. I'm very secure in how I think and how I feel. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying what I believe, I believe. I've tested it, and I'm going to keep believing it. Now, if someone says something that sparks maybe a question, I will process that question without fear of manipulation or insecurity. And once I process it, and I'll tell I told her, Susan, yesterday, I said, look, I'm having this tough time today. As you can imagine, you don't feel real good after surgery. And I said, I'm not, real, I'm not going to be real good at doing what you're asking me to do. And I've told you this before. So Susan and I have this policy. I say, you know, I'm operating at about 20% right now in our relationship. I need 80% from you today. And whenever you're feeling low in your day, I'll give you 90% if all you can give me is 10%. You see, we're not always at 100%. Nobody is. So in your relationships, say, look, today, and this is what I told her yesterday, I'd had surgery, I wasn't feeling well, I had things to do, had a sermon to preach, I, I mean, I had a bunch going on, 
And I just politely said, look, I, I don't need any pushback right now. I need 80% from you. I'll give 20%. It's all I got left. And, and we worked through it. We had no argument. We had no difficulty. I said, and I, you don't overstate this because some of you suckers will be asking 80% every day. And if your spouse or friend does that, say, you are trying to manipulate me. You don't, you don't get to play that card every day. Manipulative people are those who wish to be, uh, to live life or get you to live life on their terms. They, have, they only have one thing. You're going to live life on my terms. I don't expect Susan to live life on my terms. I expect us to come to terms with how we want to live life. She doesn't have to live it on mine. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says she does the dishes. It amazes me how men are still cavemen. You come in and ask your wife why she hasn't done the dishes. Well, aren't you capable, moron? No, that's old school, man. You don't, you don't be going around telling women all this stuff. You go do some yourself. Women, dadgummit, I gave you every chance to applaud me, and you sat there like a bump on a log. Thank you. Man. So first thing you do is you pause. Remember I said you don't always have to have an answer. Just pause. This is hard. And, and think about it this way. When you don't want to miss out on a movie, you have to go to the bathroom. You hit the pause button on your remote control. Why? Because you don't want to miss it. So if you're having a conversation and, 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 and you're thinking, I, I, this is going to pollute my purpose, pause. Say, can we come back to this later? I need a pause right now. Not stopping. I'm pausing, which means we will have this conversation when I'm capable. I'm not blaming you. I'm not capable right now. Now, what that does is that shows that you're secure, not insecure. What you're saying to somebody is, I'm the problem here, not you. I'm incapable of handling this topic in this moment. So, second thing is pray. You have to pause before you pray because they'll never understand it if you just start shambai and right in front of them. So don't go into that spirit mode right now without explaining. I need to pause. Why? So I can pray. Okay? Pause comes before prayer. It's the only thing that comes before prayer is a pause. That's how come Jesus paused. He got away. He said he left early. He paused and then he prayed. Then the third thing after you do that is protect yourself and protect others. Make sure the pause in the prayer is effectual. It's, it's working. You should be able to come back and say, I'm going to protect you and protecting me. I'm not going to say hurtful things. Susan and I have a policy that we don't call names. Name calling is out in our house. You don't call someone stupid, you're this, you're that. We don't do that, and if we ever do, we call each other out on it if we're ever tempted to. You do not name call, and you certainly don't put your spouse down in front of other people. That's the worst thing you can do is make somebody feel small, not just in their eyes, but in the eyes of people you know. This will pollute your purpose, it will pollute your anointing, and it will pollute your call. You wonder why you're not living at the level you're living. You see, this was horribly infected up into my sinus, which is dangerous because it was in my, it could get to my brain. So what we don't realize is when they did the surgery and they removed all this stuff, I feel like a, so much better. 
But some of y'all have an infected soul. <clears throat> and I'm, <clears throat> I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying we can all have an infected soul, and, and, and you can live with it until it gets to the point where it gets to the brain of your call or your purpose, at which time it could kill the relationship. Protect your purpose. Don't let it get polluted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us all we need to overcome and to live an overcoming life in this world. Lord, everything I've spoken today requires purpose, intentionality. We have to be purposeful to take these steps and live them out. So, Lord, today I pray that we would take the time before we open our mouths, before we open our eyes in the morning, to honor your divine purpose for our lives. Lord, you have honored us with your presence, your grace, your mercy, and your purpose. May we honor you back. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to take just a moment. We always pray a prayer of repentance and salvation for those of you watching online, those sitting in-house. And I want to ask everyone to repeat this after me. And I want you to repeat it in a voice that other people can hear because there may be people seated around you that are not born again and, and that they don't need this prayer alone. We encourage them by praying it with them. So pray this with me right now. Say, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you gave your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare right now, I am saved. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or to recommit your life to Christ, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. It will walk you through the steps digitally that you need to take so that we can be praying for you. Uh, in the upcoming weeks and months, we have a prayer team that that's all they do all the time. They pray throughout the week. They pray on Sundays. They're praying for you. So please text the word SAVE to that number, 405-500-1310. All right? This time, I want to receive our tithes and offerings. Um, and uh, I want to encourage you today again to be diligent in, your, in the area of finances. To be diligent. To give God opportunity to do something. You say, well, God's God. No, we give opportunity to be God in our lives. He will never force himself on you in your soul or your finances. He never will. But he will bless you when you respond to what he said to do. So today, if you want to give, you can put your smartphone on the QR code behind me. It will lead you to the giving site. Or you can text the word GIVE to 405 546 405 546-2226, and it'll walk you through setting up a debit card or credit card, very simple to do, and you can give anytime from anywhere around the world. It's a very simple process. You can also give on the way out if you're in-house. You can also go to our website, mosaicokc.church forward slash give, or you can mail your tithe and your offering to 5821 Northwest Expressway, Oklahoma City 73132. And remember, 
As we bring our tithes and offerings unto the Lord, we are believing for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, bills decreased, blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about is that last little paragraph there, all right? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come to the left of the stage. And while they're coming to the left of the stage, let me remind those of you who went on my midweek call, text the word CALL to 405-500-1310 and uh, leave your name and number. And we'll add you to my midweek call. It's minute 30 seconds, two minutes at the most. It's just an inspirational shot in the arm midweek. And uh, sometimes it's informative as well. Uh, and then also if you want to serve, which you know that's what Jesus said my purpose was, I came to serve, not be served. Uh, if you'd like to get plugged in and get to know people in small groups, uh, all of our, our particular areas of service, have texts every week. Every Sunday they get a text and then some of them throughout the week text each other. You'll get to know people and you'll have a better time being at Mosaic Church OKC. So you can text the word serve to that same number, leave the information as it walks you through the digital process. We would love to have you on our team. All right? Well, let's stand. We're going to go out with a shout of hallelujah on three. Thank all of you for coming. Remember, let purpose reign in your life this week. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.